Again, welcome here. My name is Jeremy. Uh, we're delighted you've continued to worship with us today. Wasn't that good? That was refreshing. Wow. Praise the Lord. This morning I'd like to talk to you about discernment, about the subject of discernment. And the reason is, is because the text this morning gives us two basic commands. The first one goes like this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6 says, let no one deceive you. That's one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin says it like this. It says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So in other words, what's happening is this. There's the positive and the neg, or the negative and the positive. The negative is don't be deceived. The positive is try to discern what's good. So don't be deceived by the bad. Try to discern what's good. And there's an obvious reason I think that we need this today. We live in a world that is full, I mean jam-packed full of deception. You know this, phone calls, junk mail, politics, media, etc., etc. You don't have to go very far to understand people are trying to pull the wool over our eyes. And there are various ranges of deception. There is anything from, ha-ha, that's funny, good one, to, wow, that was really, really hurtful and extremely damaging. And so for our own good, not just because the Bible says so or we're being religious or preachy, but for our own good, we need to be able to discern truth from error. Is it true or is it deception? Is this going to be good for me or is this going to hurt me? We need discernment. So I want to do that today. I want to, I want us together to practice discernment and we're going to do so in a really risky way. Why not? Let's talk about one of the most difficult and complex and controversial subjects in the United States today. Shall we? How about human sexuality? We need to exercise discernment with regard to human sexuality. We need to figure out what is good for us and what will hurt us. What is true and what is deception. We need to discern what God wants and what is good and true and right and just. And so this morning, uh, what I want to do is sort of set up a filter for you. And this filter, we're going to walk through the subject of human sexuality, but you can use this filter on anything. The same grid or same paradigm, the same moral processor works for any subject. But since today's text is particularly talking about sexuality, we're going to use it on that. And so here's the discernment filter that I'd like to give to you this morning. You can write this down. You can download the slides when you get home, whatever you desire. But here it is. Discernment is a filter that does three things. Discernment is a filter that does three things. The first of which is this, it accepts. It accepts. Discernment accepts. The second thing that discernment does is it also rejects. Not only does it accept, but it rejects. And then the third and final thing is it actually begets or produces something. Okay. This is Jeremy Lobdell, cheesy humor here, folks. I know nobody got that, but we're talking about human sexuality. And I just said that we're going to accept, reject, and beget. Okay. 
There's something there. I don't know. You'll see it later, maybe. You'll go home and be like, oh, oh man. I don't know. It, discernment, it accepts, it rejects, and it begets. It produces something. And you do this in any scenario. If you're going shopping, you have in mind, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm looking for. And so you go and you pick up one. You're like, no, that's not it. And you pick up another and you're like, yeah, I think that's it. Maybe I'll try it on. You get a few options in the day. Hopefully you produce something. You come away from the store and you say, this is what I was after. This is good. Doesn't this look nice? Hey, wow, it worked. I accepted what I wanted. I rejected what was different. And I came out with something better on the other end. That's that's discernment. That's moral discernment. That's shopping discernment. That's anything. You you process things through a grid. You say, okay, here, what is good? Okay, got it. Now, compared to that, does this match? Is is it acceptable? Is it fall short? Or do I reject it? And by doing that, you're not being judgmental or mean or hateful. You're just pursuing that which is good. You're not doing anything wrong there. You're doing a good thing. That is discernment. It accepts, it rejects, and it begets. Accepts, rejects, and begets. Discernment accepts the original. It rejects the imposter or any deception. And it begets the beautiful. It accepts, it rejects, it begets. And so today, let's do that then. Let's walk that through the topic of human sexuality. From Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, Paul's going to start off the apostle with some uh, prohibitions and some admonitions. He starts off with this proper view of human sexuality. And then next week, he gets into husband and wife and, you know, sons and daughters and church and slave, master, servant, owner, all this other things. Not, anyways, there's a lot of context behind that, more of an employer relationship. But here's the thing. This section sets up what we're going for in the next. When you begin to understand human sexuality and how that works, then you're much more prepared to move into your marriage and love one another well. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, says this. This is God's word. Like God himself is speaking to you right now. This is what God says. But sexuality and sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance whatsoever in the kingdom of God in Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in, this is what we're after, all that is good and right and true. That's the beautiful, the desired outcome, the end product Try to discern what that is, what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Discerning a proper view of human sexuality. Accept, reject, beget. How do we do that? Well, the first is to accept, accept the good, the true, the original. What is the original? What is God's design? What is his original purpose for image bearers, both male and female? Let's ask Jesus, shall we? Mark chapter 10. It's really, I'm glad that Jesus has this section um, it's it's not one that he set out to teach necessarily on human sexuality. What it is, in fact, is it's an attempted trap. His enemies and adversaries are pursuing him, and so they decide to ask him the question that they think is most likely to cause him to misstep. These are the wise Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law. Scribes and Pharisees are different, but in general, these are the people who are pursuing him. And going after him and trying to get him misstep. And they say, okay, let's ask him a hard one. We've tried this. We've tried that. Let's see if we can get him to really, really mess up. What better to ask him about than divorce? The reality of our world and the reality of their world is this. There's divorce and a lot of it. Sin has had a major effect on our relationships. And as a result, people go into them willy-nilly, make mistakes, get in trouble. Other people are damaged. They don't even realize it. They get in a relationship and they find out, wow, what did I get myself into? And now we're in trouble. Bad stuff happens, even to good people. Good people do bad things. Bad people do bad things. And good people have bad stuff happen to them. And guess what? As a result, there's a lot of divorce. And these guys think, we're going to get them now. (laughs) We kind of get them. Because there is no way to perfectly walk this line. I mean, What a mess. And how many good people haven't been hurt in bad situations? And so they try to trap him and Jesus is there. He goes to teach, which is really cool. This is Jesus's approach to ministry. Understand that he's not a wizard. He's not a wizard in a, in a carnival sense, but instead he is a teacher. And it says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus went, or he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. He crowds gathered and again, as was his custom, he taught them. He taught them, teacher, good teacher. And Pharisees came up in order to test him and they said, okay, here you go, buddy. Try this one out. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Because Hillel and Gamaliel, the two leading rabbis of the day, they had their opinions and everybody liked to argue about it. But Jesus answered them without jumping into their debate. Let me see if you can answer my question. What did Moses command you? You guys are teachers of the law. You tell me. He said, okay. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Pretty nonchalant. Jesus said this to them. You're right. In essence, not because it was a good thing, but because of the hardness of your heart. He wrote this commandment to you. But Jesus does something very beautiful. He skips out of Moses and goes back to God's original creative design. To the very beginning. The original. What is the original? Jesus tells you. From the beginning of creation. And then he quotes Genesis 1.27. Which Moses wrote. And said God made them male and female. Here's your creative original design. This is what scripture says. 
This is the Bible. This is Jesus. This is Christianity. God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but strangely enough, one. What therefore God has joined together, let no person separate. Wow. There it is. Let me just show you so you know I'm not fluffing uh, Genesis 1.27. This is the original creation of humanity. Uh, this is what happened at the end. God has made the animals, the moon, the star, all the things. But on none of them did he place his image-bearing mark. He gives humanity the unique, beautiful gift of the endowment of his image. He places us as the highest pinnacle of all creation. Yes, the stars are beautiful. Yes, the mountains are pretty. Yes, the sunsets are nice. But the most beautiful thing that God made is people. So God created them in his own image. The only thing like that. In the image of God, he created them. No sexism here. Both male and female. In his image, he created them. That's what Jesus first quoted. Then Jesus quoted 2.24. And he says, this is the next chapter where there's a little bit more uh, detail. Because therefore, because they are made like this, here's what happens. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the mysterious union takes place where the two become one flesh. So what then is the original? Jesus says the original is male and female. That God made human beings into two different categories. One is male, the other is female. I know there's a lot of debate around this today and there's a lot of science and genetics and dna and all this and that and i'm certainly not going to dismiss uh, the research of humanity but i also don't want to dismiss the revelation of god so how do we put those two things together from a christian perspective a christian worldview is this before sin came into the world there was male and female before sin came into the world there was no blindness there was no pain there was no suffering There weren't even any clothes. We were happy. We were together. But then what happened is as soon as sin comes in, everything gets messed up. And I mean everything. Like the birds and the bees and literally the birds and the bees. Everything is messed up after that. And as a result, sometimes people are born blind. Their eyes weren't generated in the womb. And sometimes, in rare cases, like I don't know what the statistics are, but I know they're small, people are born without other body parts. It doesn't change God's original creative design, but what it does show is there has been an impact of sin. The things are changed now as a result of this grave mistake of Adam and Eve and we ourselves. It doesn't mean that there's a direct correlation between Every sin and everything in our life, indeed sin has consequences, but there's also this cumulative spillover effect that works on everything, like our parking lots decay, the weeds grow, things break, things are not getting better, they're getting worse. That's sin. That's sin. All pain and suffering, the Bible says, comes from this original thing called sin. So now today we have this in us and it affects us to our very core Even our own hearts, our desires, our minds, our bodies, our DNA, our bloodstream, everything is affected by sin. Everything. But yet, God says, 
Apart from sin, my original design, his original design, not God says, is male and female. So what happens then who have people who feel like they're outside of that design? Well, that's, that's different than what God designed. And God gives a pathway for all people. And I know there's challenges within that. But the thing is, even if you're experiencing same-sex attraction, God still says that the original creative design was for male and female. There's a guy at Moody named Sam Alberry, who's a professor there who's same-sex attracted. And he is walking the Christian tightrope of celibacy and also saying, hey, my design is different. It's messed up. I don't know. But I know what the Bible says, and so I'm trying to live by that. There's no easy answers for that, but it's not something new. It's something that you, in fact, see throughout all of Scripture. Scripture shows the reality, the grim reality of the damage to human sexuality as a result of sin. It starts early, i.e. Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. It is nothing new. This stuff's been going on for a long time. Some people say, oh, our world's so bad today, it's worse than it ever has been. No, it's not. Read Cicero and some of the others, and you'll find that they had a categorized list for what to do with every member in their household. This is what you do with slaves. This is what you do with young boys. This is what you do with concubines. This is what you do with your wives. Wife was a pinnacle because she's the one who's supposed to produce your natural heir. But the rest of them, do what you want. It was gross. You can see all the details to that, the direct quotes in the life group questions. Guys like, hey, I want to join a life group. All of a sudden, everybody wants to sign up. Look, the original is this. You are clearly told by Jesus and by Genesis that God designed us male and female. Male and female. That was his design. There's a lot of complexity there, but that's the original design. So that plays out in this way. Here's how human sexuality works. The design for the fulfillment of the good thing that God made is this. Here's the original. Here's a slide. Marriage then, what ends up happening, the leave and cleave, a man leaves his wife, husband and father and cleaves to his wife, is this. There is one man and one woman. They come together and they form one unit for life. That's marriage. One male, one female in a heterosexual, monogamous relationship forever. That's marriage. One male, one female, heterosexual relation, monogamous relationship forever. Anything outside of that is sin. Anything outside of that boundary is sin. Anything. Thoughts. Actions. Deviations. Whatever. If it's outside of that original creative framework, it does not fit with God's design. But, here's the thing. If it's inside of that. (laughs) Right? Amen? You can say amen in church. It's okay. We Christians should be the greatest lovers of all. For real. You need to show passion. God is a passionate God. He created motions. He created testosterone and estrogen and everything in between. And it's a good thing. And this is the full representation of his image in male and female. It's your anniversary. Celebrate. 
I'm serious. In fact, we'll make it even more juicy this morning. I, I put some stuff in life group about how you can better celebrate. So we'll improve your intercourse if you go through the life group questions this week. Now we've got some interest in life groups, right? I, I was saying guys like, hey, honey, I want to sign up for life groups. <laughs> I've been bugging you about that for years. What's up? Seriously, celebrate. Here's the thing. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 says this. Let there be thanksgiving. This is how you receive a gift. It's not dirty or something you only do in the dark. It's a good thing. Human sexuality, God's creative order, his design for us to be fulfilled and represent him and reproduce is a good thing. Do it. And do it right a lot with your spouse. Don't come home too tired. Don't ignore her. Listen. Hey, foreplay may last all week long, but at the end of the week or end of the day, it's worth it. Be patient. She is not your object, your concubine, or anything else. She is your wife. Love her. Receive it with thanksgiving. It is a good thing. God's original design is good. It's good. It's good. How rude to push away his gift and ignore it and not receive it. This is something God offers to you his very best. Why do you think there are sex cults in the ancient scriptures? Because it's so good people worshiped it. They mistook the gift for the giver. But the reality is, when you do that, you mess everything up. Ashtoreth, you know, all these other goddesses, Canaanite goddesses, Baal, etc., they're all fertility cults. Why? Because there's no discernment there. They've missed it. What is wrong with our society? There's no discernment here. We've missed it. In different ways, but same thing today. What do you do? Well, you start with the original. You have in mind what is good. Say, okay, this is what God says is good. This is what I'm after, and I won't settle for anything less. When I do, then I'm the one who suffers. Here's the good. Go after it. Receive it with joy and thanksgiving. Accept the original. Number one, discerning view of human sexuality accepts the original. But what it also does, just like when you're shopping, is it rejects the imposter. It says, no, that is not what I want. That's a lemon. Throw that one out. I'll spend a lot of money and end up hosed. Here's some of the things that the imposter says to us today. Listen carefully. I'm sure you've heard them. The imposter says, go ahead, fool around. It won't hurt. Actually, it will more than you know. The imposter says, why bother with an institution when you're in love? Live together first. Find out if you're compatible. But what you don't understand is that statisticians will tell you, cohabitation nearly always ends in divorce. You're actually decreasing your chances for faithfulness rather than increasing them. You've already said to your partner, I don't trust you. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Let's just see. 
Why wait for the benefits of marriage when you can enjoy them visually now? Actually, you're victimizing young girls, making them slaves, subjecting them to abuse, changing the way your mind works, and decreasing your ability for pleasure later on. I've actually spoken with counselors who are like, this guy's got to the point where he is so addicted, he cannot actually enjoy his spouse. Not possible. He's ruined it. Well, if one sex gender isn't doing it for you, why not try another? Actually, you're denying your very self, your fundamental created design that God put you in and changing your identity. You need to find your identity in Christ, not in a subculture or other community. You need to find your identity in Jesus. Regardless of your desires, regardless of your DNA, regardless of whatever, who you are in Christ trumps all of that. Heterosexual, homosexual alike doesn't matter. Marriage is a temporary institution. Ultimately, our union with Christ is the thing that lasts forever. Do not listen to the liar. He's out to pull the wool over your eyes and hurt you. You have to filter these things and ask yourself the question, does it match the original? Does this match what Jesus is saying? Does it? If so, receive it with thanksgiving. But if not, reject it. In fact, don't even think about it. Just as soon as you do, you're on the path to destruction. Reject any and all forms of a sexual ethic that does not match with Jesus. Reject the imposter. I have in my pocket something I'd like to show you today. If the cameras can zoom in here for a second. You see this? There it is. What does that look like? Anybody know? Little green marble? Pretty close. It's actually jade. Real jade that my parents got from a missionary long ago. They gave it to me when I was a little kid. Uh, interested in rocks and stuff like that. And I heard this story from Hayden Robinson, who writes in his book, Biblical Preaching. He says, a Chinese boy wanted to learn about jade. And so he went to study with a talented old teacher. The gentle man put this piece of precious stone into his hand and told him to hold it tight. And then the elderly philosopher began to lecture on all subjects, men, women, the sun, and everything under it. After an hour, he took back the stone and sent the boy home. The procedure was repeated for several weeks. The boy became frustrated. When would he be told about jade? But he was too polite to say anything or question the wisdom of his venerable teacher. Then one day, the old man put a different stone into his hand, and the boy cried out instinctively, That's not jade! What is discernment? It accepts the original, rejects the imposter. I want you to hold on so tight to your biblical Christianity that anything that ever comes close that doesn't line up, you say, no, that is not it. 
Get behind me, Satan. You are wrong. I will not be more happy if I pursue that. I will only be happy in Christ. This is real. Accept the original. Reject the imposter. And when you do so, you beget the beautiful. That's what happens. You beget the beautiful. It's so wonderful. It's so good. What God created is good, not bad. All that is good and true, verse 9 says. Therefore, Ephesians 5.8 says, Walk as children of light. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in light. Walk in the light. Here's the thing about light. You can see there's light shining on me, and there's lights that we use in our cars and our homes and everywhere else. But what's cool, as you know, is that light changes things. It transforms things. If there's a dark room and you turn on the light, all of a sudden that darkness has turned into light. Where there is light, darkness can't be. I'm from Missouri. There's a lot of sinkholes because of the limestone in the ground. It drips and it creates these caverns like Fantastic Caverns, Merrimack Caves, and others. And it's really cool when you go on those cave tours. Has anyone ever been on a cave tour? Inevitably, what do they do halfway through the tour? They turn out the light. They want to show you what real dark really looks like. I mean, it's so dark, literally, you put your hand right there, you can't see a thing. It's amazing. Here's the thing. The Bible says that we are, in fact, light. I think a lot of us think of ourselves as Christians, not just as... I think a lot of us think of ourselves as Christians as just like, shine the light, that Jesus is light. And that's true. But look what this passage says in verse 14. In verse 14, it says, anything that is visible is light. And then verse 8 says, for at one time you were darkness. But when Jesus came into your life, now you are light. You are light. When you walk into the room, something should change. You are different. And I understand that everything outside of this room is dark. I get that. It's easy to be light here. But when you walk into the room, if you are living out your identity in Jesus, things change. Light transforms things. Look at the springtime. The snow melts. The flowers come up. The grass turns green. The trees bloom and fill up your gutters with all kinds of junk. Light changes things. Light transforms and it's good. Therefore, verse 9 says, the fruit of the light, what it produces. When light shines, here's what happens. All that is good and right and true. See, light transforms things. When it goes, it makes a difference. And I understand that there are crazy opinions out there. And I'm not asking you to be a snob or a Bible thumper or anything else. I'm asking you to walk into a dark place and joyfully with gratefulness and thanksgiving live out your identity in him. And when you do so, you will stand out. And what will happen then, here's, here's the good, the transformation is the good side. There's also the other side. When light comes, there's also opposition. And so you come into a room in a dark place, just metaphorically speaking, and all of a sudden you try to represent a biblical sexual ethic, people will disagree. 
And I know at some of our major corporations around here, there's all kinds of things you have to be aware of, be sensitive about how you do that, what you can say and what you can't. But if you're constantly talking about, I love my wife, I love my husband, I love my church, it's so good to see my children and grandchildren, they're getting married and what a beautiful thing it is and our family is different because we're like this. People will see it. But you may experience opposition as well. Jesus says you'll be hated. And you may even be called, ironically enough, the hater. But isn't it funny that he who is love embodied is accused of being hateful? Isn't it funny that he who is truth is accused of being the false teacher? And isn't it funny that he who defeated death and the demonic is accused of working for demons. You see, your accusers will always accuse you of what they're guilty of. That's what happens. They think, if I, were in, if I was in that shoes, this is what I'd be doing. You're a hater. Actually not. I'm a follower of the guy who laid down his life for you. And he died for you. And I'm not near as good as him, and I'll get it right. Man, if you'll believe in him... Things will be different for you. Not haters. We're not intolerant. We're not bigots. We're lovers and followers of Christ. But lovers and followers of Christ have always been called that. And some have been treated much worse than we are. So when you go out into your workplace, you go out into your world, you treat, teach your children, you show them the truth, man. You say, hey, look, God is good. God is love. You don't have to deny yourself to experience real love. You accept God and then you're fulfilled and realize yourself. You know what's beautiful? You know what's truly beautiful? God's eternal plan. Remember this book we're in called Ephesians? See if you recognize some of these sermon titles. This is a quick summary. Here's what's beautiful. The, the tapestry of God's eternal will, the Christmas tapestry that he is weaving from before the foundation of the earth, that all things should be summed up in him. He is the jar that holds it all together. The Holy Spirit is the glue who permeates all of this and is binding us to him via his mega power. Therefore, we should believe the promises and live to prove it. For he himself is our peace. The mystery made clear. Therefore, Paul's prayer is that you will understand how great and how wide the Father's love really is. Already reconciled, therefore walk worthy, gifted to serve, cultivating to transform, tuning in to tap in, and now living out your identities as imitators of your Father. You want to see redemption take place? Do you want to see light transform you? Do not trade the original for any other treasure. Hold that jade in your hand and hold it tight. If you sell it short for something less, and you've given in to an imposter or a counterfeit or a false god. Ephesians tells us, you can be sure of this. Everyone who does that, everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or is covetousness, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Therefore, Exercise discernment. Let no one deceive you. 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Instead, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because indeed the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand this. Here's the will of God. Here's the will of God for your life. First Thessalonians says, this is the will. Your sanctification. What is your sanctification? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Sacred marriage. Right? You're at our Gary Thomas thing a few weeks ago. Here's the point. God has called you to holiness. And we so often substitute that for our own selfish happiness or whatever else, but that is not the point. God made male and female in his image, united together to represent him, and he is holy. Therefore, be holy, for he is holy. Discernment accepts, rejects, and begets. Accepts the original, rejects the imposter, and begets the beautiful. What is the beautiful? All that is good and right and true. God himself in his holiness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's call for you. Exercise discernment. In your sexuality. Father we thank you. For your word to us today Lord. Your word is good and true. And right and just. And indeed it's a challenge. Because we're all affected. We all have desires. We all have needs. And you've given us. A very good outlet. You've provided for our needs. And so, Lord, I apologize. We, we repent. We ask for forgiveness for any time we've even thought about or considered looking outside of that. God, grant us your grace. Grant us your mercy. Grant us your victory. And help us to discern what is right and true and just. Follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.